Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. And today we're talking about batteries, electric vehicle batteries, and how a fellow by the name of Scott Case, a CEO and founder of Recurrent, has created a business out of defining the health of batteries in EVs. Just really happy to have Scott on the podcast today. Hey, Scott, greetings. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, Ted. And, and where are you as we speak? Where am I? I uh, live in Tacoma, Washington, so the TAC and SeaTac Airport. That's uh, that's where my home is. How long have you lived up there? Well, in the Pacific Northwest, basically since high school. So, um, you know, I've been around a little bit. I was born in New Jersey. I don't know. Are, is this like a biography section of the podcast? So, <laughs> hey, we'll just get, born we'll in just... New Jersey. I lived, yeah. lived in Houston a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Pacific Northwestern for a while. <laughs> People love that part, Scott. I know. We'll get we'll, we'll, we'll get quickly to the business model, but all right, all right. You 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 went to Williams College. What did you study there? Oh, uh, I did not study used cars. <laughs> I, I, I studied uh, I studied economics and political science, and then got a uh, well. I guess I you know the economics part. I guess I did study used cars, uh, supply and demand. You know. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. <laughs> But then, then went off to MIT, Sloan School, and yeah. So I, I have all it, these fancy, fancy degrees, and you know, and and uh, my, I, I now come back to my parents, and I'm like, hey, guess what? I'm working in the used car industry, like with all these fancy degrees. <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that is that is funny. Well, you prior prior to I've already introduced you as the the founder and CEO of Recurrent Energy. So we're going to get there. But before that, you went and you 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 worked in a company called Energy Savvy. And that was like that was ten years of your life or your professional career, right? Yeah. Well, hang on. Before we talk about energy savvy, I want to I want to make sure that the that we get our name right because there are uh, there are a wild number of recurrent companies, and there is a recurrent energy, which is a solar developer in Canada, I think, and there's also recurrent uh, technologies, which is a seller of used uh, computer equipment to companies. And there's even a recurrent ventures, which is like a magazine publisher. So uh, we're all in different categories, but I, um, but I, I don't want to send traffic to the wrong recurrent. So uh, yeah, recurrent EV or recurrent auto, or uh, we just go by recurrent. So yeah. 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 Anyway, Good. so, Good. but energy savvy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I spent 10 years, we basically it was a software company to help people make their houses more energy efficient. Uh, we worked yeah. with electric utilities to essentially help them with cons- consumer engagement and data analytics. And, you know, honestly, one of the, it, it, as we were wrapping up that 10 year span, the I sort of like, you know, electric utilities were figuring out what it was going to mean to have uh, more and more EVs connected to their power plants and connected yeah. to the, their substations. And so I really kind of like came into auto through the electrical grid. I guess you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Did it, did it just, uh, did it just hit you that, I mean, you're, you, you must have this penchant for data, for data. You, you're a data guy somehow and, and all this data analytics and data science. I mean, how did you how did you position there? How did you get to the EV battery degradation and rating batteries? 
Well, I should say that I was not, the, the way I did not do it was to be an EV owner myself or have gone through the used EV purchasing process. So th I think that's like what a lot of people think is like, oh, this this guy's been bleeding electrons for since the first EV came out. But no, I lived in Seattle for uh, 17 years um, prior to moving down to Tacoma during uh, COVID. Yeah. And I didn't, we didn't have a garage. We didn't have a driveway. We didn't even have off street parking on, on our side of the street where we lived in Seattle. And so like, I didn't have anywhere to plug in and I, it's not for lack of trying, but we were trying to figure out, could we run extension cords somehow uh, like across the street in a fake speed bump? I mean, there was like all kinds of rigmarole, yeah. but, but basically I couldn't get an EV. Um, and then when we moved down to Tacoma in, uh, well, I guess it was 2021, this is a, I have a garage for the first time since high school. And so then finally I could, I could get an EV, but, but I mean, for me, like how I kind of came about this without being yep. a driver myself, um, it was actually, was actually working on another company idea um, uh, around reusing decommissioned EV batteries in uh, stationary grid storage. Like, I think that's going to, they're like, you know, utilities are going to have to uh, basically like, absorb more and more and more renewable energy that needs to be kind of stored um, yep. for some period of time. You know, typically it's going to be like, you know, a few hours and then it gets discharged to basically make the electrical grid work long-term. But, um, and, you know, one way of doing that is, well, you, well, basically the way you need to do that is, is through the use of batteries. And so I was kind of thinking about like, how could we take all these decommissioned batteries, which, you know, basically for an ev battery like with the chemistry and everything like that like they're, they're good for a while longer in stationary storage than they are um after they're done being a battery for uh vehicles basically they're just the the charge and discharge cycles are not as aggressive as, as they are for transportation so like hmm. i i went down that road for a while thinking about that as my next company and ultimately concluded that there weren't enough decommissioned batteries for um you know, to, to really deploy in that way at the, at grid scale. And so it's like, oh, I can do that company, you know, next, basically after, you know, in the next 10 years. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, I kind of hit on this used car market when I, as just in the process of diligence, diligencing, diligencing that, um, that company idea where I was like, got, you know, you basically have like used, used EVs are essentially inventory in progress to becoming decommissioned batteries. So, you right. know, it, it kind of made sense that that, that, that was like, oh, I'll do this first and then I'll do the, the stationary grid storage thing. A, a good, a good evolution. And, uh, when I heard you speak in Phoenix, I guess now even a couple of months ago, I was really struck by when you said, uh, you know, people, consumers have to look at, at the value of an EV differently. It's, it's, a uh, a uh, used EV in, in, you know, in the old days when we had our ICE vehicle, our internal combustion engine vehicles, you know, what's, what's the read? What's the odometer read? That was the most important metric of sort of the life of that vehicle. And now, no, you were saying it's the battery is the most important aspect of the vehicle and it's completely invisible to the consumer. It's invisible and it's, uh, disconnected from the odometer reading that's that's i think what we're really seeing is there's all kinds of examples of how you know you've got a low mileage cars that whose batteries are really worn down or and on the flip side high mileage cars whose batteries are in great shape and there's a lot of reasons why that can why both those things can be true and so we really felt like there was a need to um, to basically like make that visible and, and help people decide, you know, what they're going to get and, um, and take that into the shopping equation. I'm going to ask you about degradation in a couple questions, but, but how do you get a high mileage 
EV that's that's battery pack is is really in very good shape. Uh, well, one example is uh, just about every Chevy Bolt ever made from 2017 to 2019 um, uh, was subject to a battery recall and and uh, replaced sort of in some cases with higher capacity packs than what they originally had. So uh, those are in great shape, even though some of them have 75,000, 100,000 miles or more on them. Right. How, how would you describe the, the business model? How you're in the data science. I, I, by the way, Scott, I signed up. I'm now a, one of your, one of your, not, nice. one, of your All right. one of your data providers, I guess, willingly provider, but how do you describe the business model and how you can sell? Who do you, who do you sell to and how does that work? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, if you are an EV owner listening to this podcast, uh, and now you know, Ted, you went through the process yourself to sign up, it's it's a free offering. So um, basically, you give us permission to monitor your battery, and we connect to the your vehicle's, um, your manufacturer's connected services account with your opt-in, right? And yeah. so we, we pick up a little bit of data, very shallow level of data, um, uh, sort of two or three times a day which is we ping the battery and we're basically getting the odometer reading, the vehicle's uh, state of charge, like how many how many electrons are in the tank right then. Mm-hmm. And then um, the vehicle's range estimate, how far can it go until it's empty at that, at that state of charge. And that's all stuff that you could see on the dashboard. Um, and then uh, over time, we can basically compare the, all of those readings, because you know, as an EV driver, those fluctuate all over the place, right? You know, depending on the temperature and how fast you're driving and all those kinds of things. But over time, we can build a model on your car, and then we can compare that to hundreds and thousands of others that are comparable. And right. so understand, essentially, how good is your battery um, at so getting you range compared to what everybody else is. And that's a pretty good indicator, it turns out, of battery condition. Um, now, all of that, oh, and then in exchange, by the way, for sharing your data with us, you get a monthly report that says um, how your how your battery is doing compared to when it was new and how it is compared to all the other ones that are uh, comparable, same make, model, year, and, and battery pack configuration. Um, and, you know, also, I think people like getting this because it also helps them care for their battery and their car in a better way. So, um, you know, everybody grew up, you, you grew up learning how to how to take care of a combustion engine car from your parents or grandparents. And you, know, you, you couldn't do that with an EV. Like no one, no one grew up learning how to do this from their parents. So um, I think a lot of people that are using that, that free offering are just, it's just, it's a good way to, to essentially like, take care of your car better, right? Um, so our the way we monetize this, and we're really clear about this when we, uh, you know, in our on our website and our business model, is uh, we uh, aggregate all that data up into a series of machine learning models that basically then are, can predict, can basically say when a car shows up, any car shows up at, at a used car lot, whether we've been connected to it or, or not in the past, um, we can basically sort of help the car dealer or it could be the wholesale auction, or the whoever whoever is the secondary buyer, um, get a, get a reasonable gauge on like how good is this battery, how far is it, am I going to be able to drive with it, how is that going to change it for weather conditions, and how will it change over time? So answering all those shopper questions, and uh, dealers and wholesale auctions uh, pay us to basically provide that visibility to their customers because um, that's something that they've seen is really valuable for the shopping process. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Now, are all manufacturers eager to let you assess their their batteries' performance? Well, I don't think all manufacturers know who we are, but you know that that's definitely been changing over time. Um, 
I think what's cool about this for from a manu- from an automaker perspective and dealership perspective is that generally speaking, the used EV shopper uh, has like a model in their head, which is essentially informed by they've had an iPhone for you know or a series of iPhones over the over the past you know fifteen years, and they know that that battery wears down, and that what it means is they can't talk all day, and so they bring that mental model into the used EV shopping process when they, when they get there, and so yep. they assume that the car is the car's battery wears down just like the iPhone does. And so with no other information, they're basically writing down the value of that car in, a, in an unfair way. And, and when we look at overall, I mean, if you sort of step back, like generally speaking, used EV batteries are holding up better than people expect them to based on their iPhones, you know, on their history with iPhones. So um, what that all means to the automakers is with us as an independent third party providing transparency and helping people understand when they go to shop in the used market um, that it's actually not as bad as they think most times you know there's variability but most of the time yeah. it actually improves the resale value of the car which is great for the automaker because they it means their residual values are higher and it means they can uh, invest more and, and make the transition to electrification faster yeah that makes sense i wanted to make sure i wanted to circle back you you said uh for an EV driver who's getting these monthly reports, they they might learn how to take care of their batteries a little bit better. And and how do you how do you do that? Is it the same as with an internal combustion engine? You don't want to jam on the accelerator, and you don't want to be jerking back and forth. Or is it is it different? Well, I suspect that most of the people that are listeners to your podcast are like you know long time EV owners at this point and they know exactly what they're doing and have done all of the research on uh, themselves uh, but but generally speaking um, how you drive it doesn't really make much of a difference how you charge it does um, so um, uh, are you um, keeping the charge level generally speaking most of the time between you know 20 or 30 and 80 percent so like you're mostly in that um, in that window in the middle or are you going all the way from zero to 100 a lot um, that uh, for for the that term is called depth of discharge and what's the average depth of discharge that's a factor um, the other another factor is that we've seen is um, uh, frequent use of DC fast charging now mm-hmm. This isn't. There's a nuanced story here because we actually did a, a study. Um, we've done we've done a number of studies, but we did one that got a lot of press a couple of months ago, uh, where we were comparing Teslas that were frequently fast charged to ones that were rarely fast charged, and we didn't see a lot of difference in their dashboard range displays. But there's a lot more nuance, you know, underneath the data of that. And what I would say to anyone is like, is is like if you if you have the choice to be yeah. on level two charging at home and you can do most of your charging there, that is going to be better for you in the long run. With the occasional fast charging when you're out on road trips, totally fine. Um, if all you're doing is feeding your car a diet of DC fast charging, like it, it like I think that it is it is going to wear the car the the battery down a little faster on the margins, uh, and that is going to vary from car to car. Yeah. Um, sorry, from manufacturer to manufacturer based on different battery chemistry and electrical engineering choices they've made. But interesting, I mean, I know a lot of the, a lot of Tesla owners that are just using that supercharging network um, and they, they're, all, they're always at a DC fast charge as opposed to a level two. 
Yeah, there, they, there, that does exist. And, you know, however, I will say that like, you know, the across the board, it's something like 80% of charging events happen at home. So, and those are all level two charges, right? So you do have uh, folks that, um, that have, that don't have a setup like, like me in Seattle, right? I didn't have a way to fast charge or to, um, to have home charging, right? Because I didn't have the garage or driveway or off-street right. parking. So right. I didn't have an option at that point. Um, so there, there are some that's kind of unavoidable, but like, you know, cause yeah, you do, there, there are, except for situations where, um, where someone, even if you don't have a place to charge at home, like you might have a, um, uh, level two charging at your uh, uh, place of work we're, that you can charge doing. during the day. And I actually think that's a great uh, option, but again, not everybody has that exactly. So, you know, I, I think that, that, that uh, like people should think about how they charge their car is like, you know, it's got to fit into your lifestyle and your, your commute patterns and everything like that. Like you can't, you can't sort of sort of set aside your entire life and sort of where you need to go and when you need to go there in uh, in order to just sort of like optimize the health of your uh, EV battery. That's, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Who's serving who uh, at this yeah, point? Yeah, exactly. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk battery degradation. And I think I told you that my gal has a Tesla Model Y and, and she's had it for a little over a year and, and she's, she's noticed because she's an electrical engineer. So she notices a lot of things, but she's noticed more, much more degradation than she thought that she would. And she's really actually kind of disappointed by it because, uh, mm -hmm. She's thinking that she was sort of sold the long range bill of goods and now the degradation. I don't, I don't really know what the numbers are down, maybe two or 3%, but is that, is that normal? And is that, um, what, what's your reaction to that, Scott? Well, Tesla's are a little special. There's a couple of things going on here. Uh, first is the, um, the dashboard um, rated range on Tesla's is sort of famously uh, not, the same as the actual range that they can go, and there were there have been lots of sort of press about that, and um, and you can even see it on the Tesla dashboard in different um, in different screens. Like their rated range is different from the if you use the trip planner and do navigation, like they they will give you different different numbers. Um, so um, so that's like one thing is you can't just look at the dashboard and understand battery degradation. The second thing is like uh, um, range is not the same as battery health right a state of health of the battery so they are related but there's a lot of things that manufacturers can do to basically um kind of conflate the two and obscure underlying battery degradation that and make it so that it doesn't show up in 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 the user experience like for instance uh you know all manufacturers with different degrees of um with different approaches use uh, can use like essentially hold back a buffer of battery capacity that is not opened up to the user um, initially and then can be opened up over time as the battery as the oh, overall battery degrades so like you, there's just a lot of different strategies out there and it's all different from manufacturer to manufacturer but that said like generally speaking yeah in teslas as in other evs especially during the first couple of years um, there is kind of a, a break-in period where um, you you lose like a little bit of range, um, you know, over the first couple of years, kind of an initial period. And then there's typically a long flat pot plateau where, um, you know, it stays about the same. And then, you know, when a battery is really sort of like failing, there's a 
there's a rapid uh, loss of capacity towards the end and that that's known as like the heel period and you know reality is like not very many cars have gotten to that point um outside of just like manufacturing issues and that sort of thing but um you know most of the cars that are you know that are that have that have ever been produced are still on the road so you know our evs are only the the oldest ones are only about 11 years old so you know right. i think that there were well, still, when, we're still when it gets to see. that heel what what capacity is that battery 60 percent or 65 i'm talking this is your next career scott we're talking about <laughs> yeah right oh that's true that's a great point <laughs> so um there is you know generally speaking like the 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 battery warranty levels that that manufacturers sort of put in there that's a pretty good indicator of when you're sort of approaching the end of the useful life for transportation purposes and that tends to be if you look at the fine print it tends to be around 65 60 65 70 percent of original capacity uh so, so i should phrase it very carefully state of health uh is, is the term they use for that but what happens like the, the other thing to th think about is like you know you might think like, well, if I have a, um, you know, a car with a 300 mile range initially 70% of that doesn't sound too bad. It's like, it's fine. But the problem that you have is that, um, uh, at the same time that you're losing capacity, the battery is also getting, building up more, uh, charging and discharging resistance. And so what that means is like your charging speed is decreasing. So it's like, that's a little bit of a pain, but the bigger problem is your discharging speed is also, uh, decreasing. And, and what that means is like, you know, when you, when you're going to get on the freeway and you floor it to get up to speed, there's not as much get up as there used to be. And that's, I think what the, the, the bigger issue of where the car, the battery is, not really able to be used for transportation purposes anymore but then hey that's a great battery for the for the grid because charging and yep. discharging um happens much more slowly than you know essentially merging onto a freeway on ramp and that's one of the great pleasures of being an ev driver is being able to merge onto the freeway on ramps and just being able to dust everybody else when you when you when you when you want to it just it takes yeah off. these evs is just <laughs> But, but Scott, going back, going back, double back, you said so many things that interest me because I'm, I'm realizing that, that EVs are much more like a piece of software than they are like a, like an old motor. Um, but did you say that, that manufacturers are, or, or they have the capacity to hold back some of the battery capacity in the early years so that as the battery degrades, they can open up sort of more, I guess it would be more cells in the battery pack. Is that, are they actually doing that or is that just a possibility? No, virtually every manufacturer, when you look at the physical capacity of the battery, um, yeah. is different from the virtual capacity of the battery. So, uh, so typically, like, and and usually that 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 offset is like you know can be ten percent. So, um, so. Uh, that's almost always the case. And you can sort of look up these facts of, you know, like, you know, my uh, ID4, I think has an 82 kilowatt hour battery, I think. And like the the, the virtual um, battery that's that's sort of allowed to be used for, you know, by the user is, is smaller than that, maybe 77 or something like that. Now, so everybody has that, right? Yeah. Not all of them uh, take the approach of gradually opening that battery, that, that, right. um, that buffer up um that's sort of the, that's where you get some manufacturer differences some of them just sort of maintain that so that they ensure that you're never actually even if you are going from zero to 100 of the virtual battery you're not actually going from zero to 100 of the physical battery 
because they know that that would be very, very destructive. And so they're, they're essentially yeah. like keeping those, those guardrails on uh, the user behavior. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, and there are other situations like Tesla has definitely done this where they have models of a vehicle where like, like there you, you can, you could buy like a, um, uh, a, like the, the the model s's used to have like 60 and 80 they had like numbers associated with them yep. which corresponded right. with the the uh, kilowatt hour capacity and there were several periods where they they shipped the model s um the 60d or whatever with the exact same physical battery as the 75d and then yep. after the fact you could pay to unlock the rest of it right. basically so you could pay yep. to upgrade it from a 60d to a 75d after the fact yeah. upgrade up, upgrade your software yeah and exactly. I, I, yeah. I think i heard that some of the, the teslas have all the same uh, speakers in them for the stereo system oh i didn't then, know that <laughs> and then you can pay to upgrade your, your sim yeah, let's just a couple more questions and we're gonna let you go but uh, on battery degradation uh, what's the worst thing for for ev batteries is it, is it cold? Is it extreme heat? Is it, what is it? Oh, temperature wise? Well, I don't know. Is that, is that the, is that the number one degradation factor for batteries? No, no, I, no, it's not. Um, you know, I think that we talked through the, the depth of discharge, the, you know, the, um, uh, sort of charging speed basically are sort of our factors there. Temperature is an interesting one. Um, although not all that actionable, you know, to be frank, but let me, like, let me kind of like break the temperature thing down two ways. Um, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, if you are driving in extreme cold, like you will lose range on your trips. Um, that's for basically just because it's actually mostly the the result of um, cabin heating is is just like takes is pretty energy intensive and uh, and um, yeah. sort of interestingly like done in different ways compared to to uh, combustion engine cars, but. Um, you're not hurting your battery over time by by driving in the cold. It's fine. It's it's a little like I don't know if you grew up um, storing your Duracell batteries in the freezer before you use them. Does that ring any bells? Like we, I feel like <laughs> yeah. we did that in my family. But anyway, yeah. so like keep having your EV in a very cold environment is a little like storing your Duracell batteries in the huh. the freezer. Um, yeah. uh, the flip side though is uh, in extreme heat uh, situations, like you don't lose very much range on a day to day basis. But long term, you do actually, uh, all else being equal, you have a little more battery, long term battery degradation as a result of exposure to extreme heat than you do in extreme cold. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it just seems that it seems that with all these new battery chemistries coming onto the market, you know, in the next five years, you know, you sort you sort of feel like you're getting an, a good understanding of, of of what the major degradation factors are, and then maybe it, maybe they change. Uh, but I wanted to just before I let you go, I wanted to just ask you a little bit about EV efficiency. And previously we discussed this this whole notion that all EVs are not not equally efficient. Um, and we talked about kilowatt hours uh, or, or how many miles per kilowatt hour and. Yeah, uh, I just you, wondered, you're a hypermiler, right? If I recall this, I think correctly. I'm at I think I'm at about five point one uh, yeah. miles per kilo. But you said, well, hey, you live in Southern California. Uh, that should be that should be the case, and maybe it is. But um, but well, I, it's I, also I, like how 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 fast you drive. Are you know are you are you um, driving on the freeway at seventy miles an hour, or are you driving on surface streets at thirty miles an hour? There's going to be huge right. differences in efficiency there as well. Right, right. But c comment if you would just on the on the heavy and the heavy pickup trucks and uh, are they getting you know they're probably weigh twice as much as as my EV or your EV. Are they getting half the mileage? Yeah, remind me what you drive again. 
Well, I've got well, I've got a Bolt, and then we've also got a Tesla. So we have yeah, Tesla. and you get five point one uh, miles the, to the kilowatt the, hour in, in your Bolt. In the Bolt, I think the Tesla. Yeah. I don't know what the Tesla is getting, but I'm assuming around four. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the the just to put that in perspective for you know compare that to the F one fifty Lightning, you know, average miles per kilowatt hour of the F one fifty Lightning is less than two. So like less far yeah. less efficient um than your bolt um but you know part of this is 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 weight you know like i'm just doing some very quick googling so the f-150 weighs uh depending on the battery pack configuration uh the 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 um curb weight of the car is six thousand to seven thousand pounds um now i'm just just out of curiosity i'm going to find out how much your bolt weighs so your bolt weighs half of that <laughs> so yeah. like yeah. so you know it's practically like actually i think that your bolt may weigh less than the battery pack alone of the hummer ev <laughs> just yeah. so like just carrying that amount of in of 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 just mass around the you know and and driving it from place to place it's just that just that takes a lot of energy to just yeah. carry around the the mass of the battery plus all the fuselage and the steel and everything like that of the, of those really large cars so you know you've got um you you can kind of get into this like you know doom loop situation with you know the more like the heavier the car is the bigger the battery has to be to get it a reasonable number of miles and the bigger the battery is the heavier it is and so you just it just keeps on getting worse and worse and so right you know I, I think it's going to be a real struggle to have those really big, heavy trucks um, kind of get a what I, what I think most people want from a range perspective uh, without right. real changes in the battery chemistry. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, it just it just stands to reason I just make a pitch for it. You know, yeah, if you really want to do your bit to protect the climate, uh, you know, we yes, we certainly want to adopt EVs and electric mobility as fast as possible, but recognize that not all EVs are equally efficient and that if you can get away with a smaller vehicle, it certainly makes uh, certainly makes a lot of sense. Last question, where do you take recurrent uh, EV or recurrent auto from here? Uh, you're, you're in the single family or single passenger vehicle uh, market right now. Do you get into do you get into trucks and buses and other forms of e-mobility or? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think that there's there's maybe some crossover around um, uh, like e-transit and Rivian delivery vans, like that kind of like the the not yeah. light duty passenger vehicles, but sort of you know medium duty. There's maybe some crossover there, but you know I don't think there's a lot of there's there just aren't enough trucks and buses you know for us to really kind of like get involved in at, at that heavy duty end. Um, so yeah, I think that's, yep. that's the, that's the focus for me. And by the way, like just to circle back around, I wanted to comment on your, if you want to do your bit thing, I will say that like there, the New York times did a great visualization of this, of like, you know, basically the efficiency uh, on a carbon emissions perspective of every uh, combustion engine vehicle and then every EV. And um, it is pretty much the case that every EV is more, energy efficient and has lower emissions than every uh combustion right. engine vehicle but there are like there there's overlap right at the at the edges so like a very small efficient gas car is about the same carbon emissions as like the f-150 yeah. lightning and the hummer ev so like the the very worst you could do from an ev perspective is about the same as the very best you could do for a for a gas car but so anyway, but I, I suspect that like there's not a lot of people that are like going from, you know, the 
the the Camry to the to the Hummer EV is my guess. I think mostly you ca- you get your category. The, you know, here's the way you do your bit is drive less. <laughs> you know, no matter yeah, what your yeah. car is, drive less and take that's more true. public transportation. You know, and yeah, from really a true. from a I guess like company values perspective for us, like you know, we acknowledge that um, like we we want we want fewer single passenger vehicles on the road overall. You know, yeah. and uh, but we acknowledge that people still are going to drive, you know, and, and, and they're still going to need, um, you know, light duty passenger vehicles. And so we would just prefer that the ones out there be more efficient and be electric faster than, uh, than, than, than we were maybe on the, on a route to anyway. Yeah. Great. So stuff. less driving, but what's, what remains, let's make it electric. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, listen, thanks for, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for your time today. Uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.